Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And really quick, I shared this um, this morning when we were doing pre-service stuff, but I felt like the Lord um, was kind of just reminding and encouraging me and wanted to encourage us that when we, when we choose to trust in him, when we choose to say yes where he's taking us, when we choose to, to surrender whatever our game plan is in, the, in this season of life, there is this beautiful freedom that comes from it because it's no longer our burden to bear. It's no longer ours to figure out. And I felt like the Lord was wanting to remind us that it is, feels like a, a costly thing to trust him. And yet the reward for that is a freedom that cannot be touched. It cannot be created. It cannot be made by us. And so this morning we come before you, Lord, as a community. We come before you, Lord, as your children, and we choose to say yes to you. We choose to trust you. We choose to corporately come together and lift your name above every other name. And we choose to say that we have come here to surrender our wills, to surrender our life before you at the cross and we will trust you. We will trust your timing. We will trust your answer to our prayers. We will trust that you hear us. We will trust that you know us.
And when that, and when, as we take that step and when we take that step, we believe that there is a freedom and a joy and a peace that can only come from you. And so I ask this morning that there would just be an outpouring of your freedom and your joy and your peace and your love. We ask you that you would fill this place with your presence. You are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for this table that you have spread out before us where we can come together, where there's always an open seat, where we all sit together regardless of background or brokenness or failures or color or socioeconomic status, where we sit and you, Jesus, sit among us and you call us brother and sister and friend. And we break the bread and we drink together and we are filled up with your goodness and your mercy and your forgiveness and your life and your breath and your love. And even though our enemies may war around us and even though we, we may be tempted and attacked and even tormented, we rest in the beauty of the table where we are safe, we are filled, we are one with each other and with you in this body of Christ. And so Lord, this moment, we are filled up by you and your praises and your love and the presence of our brothers and sisters next to us. We thank you that there's no one better than, there's no one worse than, that we are all in desperate need of your healing and your love. So move us towards freedom, that as we get up from that table and we go amidst the enemy, that we can show your love to the other who is never our enemy. Equip us, lead us with your love, by your love, to love others well, and to invite them to the table where there is a seat for them. We receive your healing, we receive your love this morning. We thank you that you are with us. That is a privilege, that is a miracle, and that is a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of a recap. Um, we're in the book of Mark. I've loved this book, and we're starting chapter 2 today. We've talked a little bit about how in the book of Mark, Jesus is, is taking center stage, and he's entering the world, and he's trying to show people in the way that he does how to reorient your lives around him. And basically, nobody has their life oriented around Christ because he hasn't been there. They've been waiting for him, but even in that, even in the waiting, they've wanted to reorient their life around somebody who they thought would be Christ. He came nothing like they wanted. So the process that's been happening is people are being jolted by how he would enter situations. Um, he's not concerned about destroying people. He's not concerned about making sure everyone knows exactly where their sin is. He's mostly concerned with reorienting the way they would think about God and becoming so desirable that they fall in love with him. 
So that's really, to me, what chapter 1 was. Chapter 2, chapter 2 is a little bit crazy. Um, a couple of things that I think are really important to know, though. In this culture, so we heard a lot about demons and people being exercised from demons. And in this passage you're about to read, there's a lot of sickness. And for this culture, not only was it in, in the church or the synagogues that people believed in demons and angels, it was a part of their society. They had sayings about it. They believed that at childbirth is when most demons are there. They believed that at night there's thousands over here and thousands over here. They believed there's certain times of the week. This was just society outside of the Bible. They believed strongly all over the place that things were guided by spirits. Something that you'll see in this passage is there's a connection with sickness and sin. So before you jump to any conclusions, I don't perceive that all sickness is because you have sinned. But this group of people would have said it like that. They would have carried a pressure. In fact, there was actually rules about if you're sick, you need to be away from the community because you are still covered in sin and sacrifices need to be made for you. So this was also a part of their culture. I don't want you to think that I'm preaching today that if you're sick, you have sinned. I do want you to understand that after the fall, sin entered the world, and it basically messed everything up. So all relationships, the, the atmosphere, society, political structures, people, families, all of it have been impacted deeply by it. So in a way, it is sin that created these chasms, these places that need to be cleansed and healed. Um, but just for you to be clear, I want, to, I want you to read John verses 9, 1 through 3. And I hope I have the right, hope I have the right one. So as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? See, this is how ingrained it was in this culture. Like, that guy's sick. Who sinned? And that he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So I like to look at any deficiency as an opportunity for Christ to be glorified in any situation, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, or emotional. It's not, did this happen because I sinned? It's more, is this here? And it is, and God, I just want to be healed. And it's interesting how in this passage, especially in this book, when Jesus approaches people, the things that would bring them to Jesus aren't the things that he dealt with. He did deal with them, and he's even okay with that bringing them to him. In this passage, a man who is paralyzed, but he doesn't talk about being paralyzed first. He actually says to him, your sins are forgiven, which is confusing, right? Like, but to this community, it would have been so connected that it would have made sense, but it still does some things that are crazy. So um, before we start really diving into the word, a big part of this passage is that God sees your heart. And I even mentioned this last week, and I've caught flack about saying this before um, because it's just kind of an American, it's just a world thing, like follow your heart, right? Who's heard follow your heart? Like, that's just, we say, follow your heart. You know, you can't go wrong with that, right? Like, you love him, follow your heart, you know? Is he good? Yes, follow your, so that's just stupid. I mean, just to be honest. But I've caught a lot of, I've said that many times. People are like, what do you mean don't follow your heart? Well, the heart is wicked above all things. And 
We don't even perceive what we need when we need it. Even the disciples who are the closest people to Jesus can't perceive what's really needed. They need to rely on Jesus for everything. And so as we start this, I just want this to be apparent to you. Jesus sees exactly what's in your heart right now. For me, the first 15 years of my life, horrifying. That's horrifying. That to me is like the evidence of why I would never want to be with Jesus. Because he's going to find stuff in me, for sure. And it's not going to be good stuff. And it's horrifying, right? Like you can see into my heart. For the first 15 years of my life, I was like, well, definitely this is not going to be okay. Because this heart is disgusting, especially for a teenage boy. Can I get an amen? Not that we're excluded, everybody else is, but, but I knew for me, it was like, this is real stuff. This is real. I didn't know till later that not only does he see your heart and can contain and, and see what's in it, and it doesn't baffle him. Any heart, like, he doesn't look at any heart and go, oh my gosh, it's the one, the heart, the one heart that would be the awful heart we will never want to see or be with. There's not a heart that that will ever happen with. For us, that's not the case. We're not very Jesus in that because there are definite definables about where a heart crosses over to like, oh, no, he didn't. That's disgusting. You deserve, you deserve to be punished. Jesus doesn't have that. And every heart that he approaches, and he sees all of it, there's always hope connected to it. I didn't know until I was a little older that not only does he see my heart, he also offers me exactly what my heart needs, and I don't perceive what that is. I don't even understand it. And the times to me where I feel like I've grasped the most what he's offering me are the times when I'm locked into a really dark spot in my heart and he happens to see it and do something different than what I thought he would have done with it. Those have always been the most moving times. I'm usually the one that convicts myself, right? Like, just think any heart in here. Like, if we just picked out a person and we're like, all right, there's this magic thing that's going to show exactly what's on your heart right now. We would probably not want to come back. All of us. There's not one of us. I can just think about conversations I've been in this week where my heart is like, I don't want to be talking to you. I don't want to be talking to you. But my face is like, I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> I'm totally eating this up. And my heart is like, I want to go home. I want to be alone. I need some alone time. Just, just that, like, just those, and those are even things like we're all kind of okay with. Like we're all kind of in that spot, but we all kind of give each other grace because we got to just be humans and be with each other, right? Like, but then there's even more. Like what about the other stuff that really happens in you? The real stuff, not the perceived stuff, not the stuff that funnels to the surface and creates beautiful you. We all have our heart, and then we all have what funnels to the surface that people can see. I don't know many people where those two things are exactly the same. Jesus sees both, and while we want him to approach others for their surfaceness and us, he always comes to the heart. He always comes to our heart. That, to me now, is encouraging so that I can breathe out. He knows. He knows every part of you. There's not a hidden part of you. There's not a hidden part. Maybe from you there is. For him, he sees directly into you. He knows everything, and he can handle it. That's, that's good. To me, that's, that's really encouraging. So the, I think if there's one thing that God has given us to show our heart, it's almost like a little bit of a, like a life hack. It's traffic. And I think 
whenever you're really in traffic. For me, people do stuff not themselves in traffic, and it's like a window into where your heart actually is. I do crazy stuff. This, this week, I did things in a car that I was like, if they knew I was a pastor, this would, this would not be good. Like, there's, there's, there's things that you allow yourself to do, right? Like, I don't, maybe that's just me. There's things you say to people in other cars. There's like, people just make mistakes on the road, but like, are you an idiot? Really? You do that right now? In any other setting, we don't talk like that. But in traffic, we're like, you're a complete idiot, right? And probably more. I think, I think, honestly, I think that's a little broken part of the matrix where Jesus is like, if you really want to see your heart, just clock yourself in a car. And whatever you're doing there, that's what I'm speaking to. For me, that's accurate. So... Today, the people in this passage, they all approach Jesus for reasons that aren't actually what Jesus wants to spend time with them in. But Jesus not only helps those things, but he moves past it with them. And the people who say yes to what he's doing, to the real heart, are the people that move on. And the people that say no to it, or the scribes, are the people that struggle completely. And so I'm going to read you this, Mark, tw- Mark 2, 1 through 12. I'm going to read from here, you guys can read from there. Mark 2, 1 through 12. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. I love that this is now his home, by the way. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them quickly. There was no door in most homes. It was just open to the street. And it was just people coming in, they're coming in. People wanting to be in your living room, they're coming in your living room. To me, that part of this is actually desirable. That kind of community where like, you want to be in my house? You can come in my house. That doesn't happen, right? Like somebody comes in your house that you don't know that's just from Smyrna. They're like, I just live in Smyrna. You're like, you're about to get shot is what's about to happen. In this setting, it was so communal that, I mean, just random people could come in your home, right? Like we do some of the strongest injustices in the name of home. While it's also the thing that most people are looking for in the deepest core of themselves, most people are looking for a place to belong. It's also the place that we do the most harm to others to protect. I'm not saying you don't protect your home. I'm just saying the thing that's the biggest gift to people, you have a home here, is also the thing that we harm others because they would impact. Does that make sense? I think there's some logic and some reason there we need to fight through to be a biblical community. I mean, the, the community of God is this open door. It is. There, we, there, we're not closing the door on anybody. We're not. You can come in. You have a seat. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to rant anymore right there. But. So he was in this place, and people were there, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get him in because of the crowd. You've all heard this before. They removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let him down on a pallet which the paralytic was lying. Quick sidebar. Pallets actually originated right here in church culture. (laughs) And so it's biblical to have pallets in your church. The second thing, friends have lowered someone through a roof, okay, to be with Jesus. Through a roof. And nobody's talking about, somebody just tore a hole in my roof. It's the argument about home again. What's a home for? Right? And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, 
Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this, this is what they're reasoning. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So really quickly, close your eyes. You're not here to get a good word from me. That's not my job. You're here to meet with Jesus. He is here. He is here now. And he desires to be with you. And so very transparently, you and you alone, open your heart and see why he wants to meet with you. I'm going to guide you just through this for a minute. Father, through the Holy Spirit, we don't even perceive how to move forward day by day. But you, God, see into the depths of our being and you speak exactly what's needed, not wanted or perceived needs, but what's needed. And each of these human hearts in this room that you already know front to back, action, belief, thought process, all of it is an open book before you that's like a child's book that you memorize. It's so easy for you. You see it, you know it, and then now you look into them and say, what do you say to me? What does he say to you? How does he speak to you? What does he want from you? God, that you would be as mesmerizing as you were to this community, that people would flock to you because this guy is so good. He's so good. He's so much different than the scribes. He's so good. God, today, in each heart that you want to spend time in, God, bring life. Bring life in Jesus' name. Life and life abundantly. Amen. Amen. So, okay, I'm going to just jump into this for a minute. So in this passage, basically, he's in a house. It's post-synagogue tour. So he's been traveling around to all the synagogues. He's been preaching the word. We don't know exactly what the word is right here other than he is the word. He's not preaching from the Old Testament as much as to preach about what's going to happen, the gospel. So he's traveling around doing that. He's now at this home, and in this setting, about half his size, the room is so full that the door is closed. You can't get in. Not only are there people there from the town that want to hear this message, scribes from all over the region, according to Luke 5.17, scribes from all over the region have now shown up because they've also heard this guy is doing things that are dangerous. And just to help the scribes, they literally believe they're doing the right thing. They didn't wake up. Like in our minds, like our spiritual minds, are like they wake up and they're like, we're evil. We're going to harm Jesus. Jesus is good. We're bad. They wake up thinking, We are guardians of orthodoxy. We are here to make sure that nothing bad happens. So Jesus to them isn't a sign of good. It's a sign of a terror that can harm what they've been building. Does that make sense? So these guys from every community, not just from one community, from every community they send scribes to this gathering 
to see if they can catch Jesus. Their job is to see. They're actually travel and hunt people who would be heretical and say things blasphemous. And then they would, they would have the authority to stone people. Just that is too much for today. They could, and they will here, build a case. And this will be the passage for Jesus that will sign his death warrant. This is when it's decided, oh, no, he didn't. And oh, yes, we will. This is the day that happens. They look at Jesus and are like, in his conversation, as he shares, your sins are forgiven, he, according to the word, is blaspheming if he's not God. They literally, according to Leviticus, can then stone him. So this is what I love about Jesus. These guys are there listening, and he's like, this beautiful four people who carry their friend. Like, just think about friends like that, too. Like, I want to be, like, in this passage, I'm going to ask you at the end who you want to be like in this. And, of course, we're all going to say Jesus while people are watching. But, like, these four dudes, like, they're going to do whatever. Right? He's not going to get in trouble for someone carrying him through a roof. He's a sick dude. The four dudes, though, they, like, they have to risk their necks. They're digging a hole through somebody's roof to lower these four guys show up with their friend that can't move. What is paralyzed? Like, paralyzed means you can't do anything on your own. Like, and I know it's an actual physical thing here, but being paralyzed means you have to completely rely on other people. It's not a comfortable spot to be in. This morning, I'm just trying to worship normal and not look like a complete tool. And I'm like over there on the wall, like leaning, like, I, I usually raise my hands, but I'm like, oh, this just looks weird at this point. God, I'm just going to do this. I can't, I couldn't stand up straight. Like, that's just a tiny fraction of what it is to be truly crippled, truly broken to where your whole life, you need other people to help you. These four dudes carry this person because they know if their friend, it's not even what they can get at this point. If their friend can see Jesus, this guy's got to do something, right? I want that for my, my friends. I want that for y'all. There's so much of me in me. I want so much of Jesus when I'm in a setting like this. Like what God, what's God going to provi provide in worship today for me, right? What's God going to do in here for me? It's going to be amazing, right? Like, I want the faith of Jesus that, like, wants more for you and your inability to move yourself into community to go after you and carry you in when you need it. That's not in me fully, but I want that. In this passage, it happens. They go through a roof. Jesus is blown away. I would love to see a picture of when he, this whole thing's just happening because it's all slower in, in the Bible. Everything's slower. It's like speed is super slow. They're just having to watch, like, huh. Their conversations like this, dude, the, the roof is caving in. Nobody's leaving. They're digging out the dirt and the natural stuff that will be in there. And just some dude is being lowered through the roof. I've never been in a small group where that's happened. I've never been in a spiritual, and it'd be like, because if it did, it'd be like, somebody, somebody's trying to attack us right now. And there'd be some crazy American with a gun on them at that moment. Like, I got this, guys right? And you all know him. And in this passage, you're just sitting there. He just, just leaned back. Just leaned back. And, and I just know he's blown away by this. He can't even be blown away by the paralytic. He's got to be blown away by the four dudes. Like, you're willing to do anything for your buddy. You're willing to break in on Jesus. This isn't like an, this is Jesus. It's a real dude. We're going to break in on your meeting, Jesus, and we're going to give you a dude. And you're going to heal him. That's just crazy. And it's cool. Nobody's caring about their home or breaking their home. You know, like their home. Like who cares? It's just a home. 
just a home. That's a roof. The dude needed to come in. He came in. Nobody's mad about the ceiling. And Jesus in that moment looks at him and just like he wanted said, your sins are forgiven and confuses everybody. I just know like he saw the surface. He saw that he was paralyzed, correct? He saw that. He knew that he wanted to be healed and not be a paralytic, but then it would just be a miracle. And a miracle isn't enough. A miracle isn't enough. A miracle is a sign. A miracle is a sign pointing you to Jesus. And Jesus came, according to this, to forgive sins and create a new family and invite people to be born again and placed in it where it's good to be home and it's better. He didn't come like the scribes searching us out to find which one of us would be full of sin. He knew we were all full of sin. He knew all of us were. He came to say, I come differently than you think. And in this setting, he says that. And then in the most decked out spiritual move ever, true discernment. Everybody's got discernment in your life. Just everybody around you's got, God gave me discernment. No, he didn't. You don't have discernment. All of us think we have discernment, not like this. They're thinking a thought inside of themselves, and he's listening to them think it. That is discernment. That's true discernment. It's a picture of how Jesus sees to the inside of us. He literally is reading them saying, who the heck is this? And how can he forgive sins? This is blasphemy. We should kill him. They're literally looking like, did he just make it this easy for us? Like they showed up and they were like, they had their scribe clothes on. They're ready to go underground if they need to. And Jesus says the thing that he can be killed for right off the bat. Your sins are forgiven. And then he perceives that they say, how can he do this? And then he speaks to what they think. That is a J-bomb all over you. And so how do they even act like that's not happening? And he says to them, so what's easier, that I heal this man or that his sins are forgiven? The answer to that question is that neither are easier, but that one of them, which he does, is seeable. And when we see it, we know, oh my goodness. He just said to this person who was not whole, be whole, and he became whole. But he didn't say it first. He said, your sins are forgiven which is harder to perceive for us and much harder to believe it happened, right? So he gives us a curveball and says, okay, this is more important. So because I know you're all humans and you're going to question it and you need miracles, miracles are not bad, right? I want one on my back. I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign points to the goods. Just like I can heal this man and make him whole and he can go from completely being broken to completely healthy body, I can say to you, your sin is forgiven, and it is fully forgiven. He was trying to show, you're all going to want a sign. You're all going to want a miracle. But what I'm trying to do is deeper than that. A sign is a sign. Like we drive down the street, how do I get to Rev? Some, a sign is pointing me, right? A, it's a sign. It's, it's taking you somewhere. Signs and wonders are not the end. They're not bad, but they're not the end. Have you ever been healed? Has anybody ever been healed? It wasn't the end. There was something more he was trying to say to you. There was something deeper he was trying to lead. That was a gift. That was a gift for you. And you'll see that happen more and more. But don't be fooled to think it is the end. Somebody might have just got healed that day and left. And he's still not where they need to be. Because he perceives the heart. I love it. 
He perceives the heart of the paralytic, gives him what he needs. He perceives the heart of the scribes, tells them what they need. They don't want it. He perceives the heart of me and you in this room right now. He looks into our insatiable desire for more. If we can just have more, right? If I can just get a little bit more, that'd be good. Just a little more. If I can just get a big, little bit bigger house, maybe just a little more money, maybe just if it going from an 80-hour work week to like a 90-hour. It's, it's not humanly possible, but I'm going to try it, right? Maybe I just get a little more, a little better wardrobe. Maybe I just get a little more class. Maybe just a little better friend group. More. He looks into that insatiable, insatiable desire. Even our prayers at times are not from the heart of God. Like sometimes people pray things, I'm like, all you have to really do is just say that out loud to yourself. And you'll know it's probably not God's best, right? Like just for you to have more, more, more. It's not about you having more. It's about you carrying your friends on a stretcher to Jesus. It's about you saying yes to whatever he would say to you. It doesn't matter what he would say. He perceives the depths of our hearts. He perceives your desires. He perceives your failures. He knows things that you don't even know about you. This is my favorite thing about Jesus and a gift that I feel like he gave me through my struggle was that I was hard to be around. I was a hard person to be around. I was a very sinful person like all of us. I just wanted everybody to know it. And so when people entered my life, they judged me usually on my sin. And they didn't do anything for me. To be Jesus for others is to look at where they're broken on the surface and realize, right, like there's something deeper happening. Maybe a gift for our whole church and our whole America is that we feel like we need to stand right here. This, I'm, I'm about to offend somebody. We feel like we need to, <laughs> she said, oh, man. <laughs> we feel like we need to stand right here and draw these surface level lines because we need to say the truth. And Jesus is like, that's never been saying the truth. The truth is there's something deeper happening. There's a deeper level of brokenness. And all of these things are little offshoots to those things. If you want to focus on surface level things, you do that, but I will not be involved. You'll be called a scribe at that point. But if you want to be focused on Jesus-level issues, you'll see past what's actually happening, real things that people are doing, real nasty stuff, and you'll see beyond it where they don't even see it, and you'll see into why it's happening with Jesus. And you'll walk with people that other Christians will be like, what? who are you walking with? What kind of people come to your church? Yes, exactly, those kind. Those kind of people do. Because Jesus looks past that to hearts. And thank God he does, because there's not one of us that would be excluded from that. All of us. All of us have something deeper, right? So I don't want to draw hard lines about a specific sin right here, not because I'm scared and not because I'm weak. And I won't, but I, I believe that there are deeper things happening that he wants to heal, right? It can't be answered in a two-minute clip. It can be answered in a conversation and being in my home and sitting at my table and you knowing that I love you like Jesus loves you and you to them. I don't even know how I got there. I don't, what am I even doing today, guys? That's y'all's fault, as far as I'm concerned. So he really wanted to say to this paralytic, when he said, I forgive your sin, child, God is not mad at you. Don't be afraid to come home. That's what he says to this person. You think you're separated from me because of your sin. I'm going to heal your like, paralyzedness. But even bigger than that, I am not mad at you. I want you home with me. Be at peace. I'm going to heal your stuff. But even deeper, the belief level. I'm not angry. I love you. I'm so for you. I let you climb through my roof. I don't even care about that. You destroyed my house. 
You destroyed my house. We would have a Swiffer out, like instantly. He'd be like, you can come and hang out, but we're just going to Swiff it up a little bit. <laughs> totally. He doesn't care about that. He's like, there's crap all over the floor. You, your sin is forgiven. You have a place with me. You can be with me. You can be at home. You can be at peace. And then out of that center, healing starts, right? So good, guys. That's Jesus. Sorry. That's true, though. She would have a Swiffer out. She's thinking, she's now thinking about when she gets home what to do with the Swiffer. She's like, I'm going to start in that room, and then we're going to go to that room. See, he looks underneath. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. I want to read this to you. Actually, I'm going to read 7 through 10. I love this. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Again, this is pointing not what you perceive matters. Trust in the Lord. You can lean into him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And here's the goods. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. <laughs> what? Who, will, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. He alone is the one who knows your heart. And so today, in worship, you guys can come up. We're going to do some, just some time for you to maybe spend with the Lord in this setting. love this passage. There's like three or four that I feel like I, I connect to. Um, Psalm 1, Isaiah 51. There's a, there's a few. Psalm 91 that I just lock into. This is becoming such a beautiful picture of so many things, right? Like who in this passage for you do you sink your teeth into and say, I really relate to that? Is it is it the scribes? They have the hardest road. I feel the baddest for the scribes in this story. They legitimately think they're doing the right thing and are doing the 100% wrong thing. You don't just learn that like that. They need Jesus more than anybody. And there are scribes all over churches right now. Like, we're here for the letter of the law. We're here on a witch hunt. Things like the crusades come out of that. We don't need more scribes. We need more Jesus followers. Who do you relate to, though? Are you a friend carrying a friend into Jesus? Are you on a mat and you're like, I can't even move. This dude needs to stop talking. Stop talking, Josh. Are you laying on a mat like paralyzed? Or is your life paralyzed? Are you so paralyzed by something you can't even move forward? Are you stuck? Like, man, if that's you, I'll, I'll, ca I'll, I'll carry one-fourth of your mat. It's going to be dragging you some of the way. But if you know you're stuck, just let me know. We'll carry you somewhere. We'll carry you to another church. We'll just show up and be like, we just read this in our church. Somebody needs to heal this guy. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> wouldn't I, I mean, that wouldn't happen like that. But Do you relate to the disciples who are, have kind of disappeared in this passage? They're just around Jesus, right? We don't hear anything about the disciples here. Do you relate to a crowd that is enamored with miracles? Just, God, we need more miracles. And Jesus is like, well, miracles are good, but they're for this. Are you, like, done when miracles stop? <laughs> like, if there's no miracles, Jesus is in there, and Jesus is like, well... Sometimes miracles stop because I am fully here and fully doing deeper work. Where are you at with that? Like, are you, who are you in this passage? Who do you relate to, right? Like, what's he saying to you in this? Every time we read this, every time, 
He's saying something specifically to each of us. It is a living word. It is alive and it works by the Holy Spirit to the depth of you. Your real heart, not your perceived heart. And even the ones of us who feel like we're really transparent and say it like it is, none of us do. It would just be awkward all the time if you just said exactly what was happening. But he sees it, right? There are people in this room right now who are fully living in some kind of nasty sin, and you know it. I'm not trying to convince you. He sees it. He's not super angry at you. But he has what you need. There's people in here who are like, I don't live in sin. They do. He sees that it's going to be harder for you to receive what he has. He sees that you've already convicted other people because it's not for you, right? You're already doing what needs to be done, right? He's like, it's going to be harder for you, but I'm here for you too. I'm perceiving your thoughts and reading them back to you, right? Don't be like the scribes and just move on from that. If you genuinely feel, and this is one of those real things in our hearts that we have to be honest with, if you genuinely feel like you're the best Christian in this room, give Jesus some space. Like more than the person who is in a nasty sin, I'm scared for the person who is the best Christian in this room. In this passage, you're the hardest one to reach, but you don't have to be. Give him room. Let Jesus speak. Their big flaw was that they didn't perceive Jesus to be who he actually was. Jesus is real. Jesus is here. He heals sins like he heals paralytic people. It's the same thing. It's as easy for him, one or the other. He can do either. It's so easy for him. He's like, blah, healed. Blah, your sins are forgiven. Blah, identity. Blah, you're part of a family. And he means it. Like, when he says you're a part of this family, you're literally more so a brother and sister than to your own family. It's more of a reality, right? So good with him. What is he saying to you? Believe it like he heals a paralytic right here. I don't want to keep rambling. I just love you guys. I want you to lock into this. So with your eyes closed, and actually, unless you have a hurt back, go ahead and stand. You all showed up today. You didn't show up for this guy. You didn't show up for them. My, I anticipate that you showed up for Jesus, correct? With your eyes closed, why did you show up for Jesus? Answer that question in your head. Why did you show up for Jesus? Don't convict yourself if it's terrible. Just let him work in it. So Father, as they interact with why they're here, you also love that they're here and are okay with what brought them here. You're okay that somebody brought a paralytic in to be healed of his sin. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would move so deeply that people would see, wow, we have never seen anything like this. And say that in their own hearts. And for the people who feel embarrassed about who they are, this, okay, this is, we're, we're going to pray for some people specifically today. There are people struggling in shame about your past today. Like, such an easy one to pray for and act like you heard it from God and like everybody hears that. I'm not sure if I heard it from God or if I just want to pray for it. But I just want to pray for people who have so much shame that they still convict themselves daily. You even say things like, I hate you to yourself. You've even thought about taking your own life. You've even judged yourself to the point to say that you're worthless compared to other people. This is a moment right now 
through the Holy Spirit where he's trying to carry you in on a mat so that you can meet a Jesus that looks at you and says, child, I'm not angry with you. Be at peace and come home. Your heart has been longing for something you can't even fathom. It's me, and he is here. So with our prayer teams in place, wherever that may be, on the sides near, near the barn doors, As we go in to spend time with Jesus on this Sunday, if you are one of those people that need to be carried into Jesus, let, let him do some work. It's his job. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love that you are communing with the Father and with Jesus continually on our behalf. We know that you're even interceding right now for every person in this room. We know that you see us in better ways than we see ourselves. So perceive and speak and give life, God, to everyone in this room. So as we go into a song here and we worship together, as you feel led to receive prayer or meet with someone, you can, you can either, I'm just going to give you some options. I'm sorry, guys, I'm all over the place. I feel okay with it, but I'm just apologizing for some reason. You can either go receive prayer, you can partner up with someone next to you, or for the really, really brave people who feel like they should be praying with someone today or carrying them on a mat, go, go help them in this room. Or if they're out of this room, go out and help them. Jesus, uh, we thank you. Give some space to Jesus for the next little bit. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.